Welcome everyone. Uh, you are listening to Digital Sites on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. I'm, I am your host, Sausan Kadura. Digital Sites airs every first Thursday of every month, as you know by now, from 2 to 3 p.m. We cover topics and news related to visual digital arts in all its forms, whether it's printed or projected on screens or even projected on buildings and walls. If you remember last month, we talked about type design, typeface design. One of the digital sites you see all around you on a daily basis is words. We are exposed to dozens, if not hundreds, of typefaces every day by the simple act of reading the word around us. Phones, computers, tablets, TVs, books, document, uh, documents, street signs, posters, menus, and the list goes on of examples of platforms that show us text every day. So most people don't realize the importance of typeface designers. Their work makes a sure a language adapt to all its modern usage. One typeface doesn't fit all platforms, all needs, or even the stories that the written word aims to tell. So this is why last month we specifically looked at the relationship between typefaces and identity and culture. We looked more specifically in the context of the Middle East because until very recently, the Middle East was going through a bit of a design crisis because of the lack of typefaces available for Arabic language. So last month, I talked with Azza Alamuddin, who is one of the few typeface designers who designs for Arabic alphabet today. And with her, we talked uh, in more details about this phenomena that seems to slowly now go away, go away, because now more designers are finally venturing into typeface design for Arabic alphabet. So, if you missed this interview, the interview is available online. You can find the link on our new Facebook page, um, Digital Sites. Just look for Digital Sites. <laughs> So today, during the first part of the show, we will continue focusing on typefaces and their relationship with culture and identity. But this time, we'll come back to our Western context a little bit and Latin alphabet. Recently, graphic designer Trey Seals discovered that only 3 to 3.5% of all practicing designers in the United States are black. That numbers goes down even more dramatically when we talk about typeface designers in particular. So Trey decided to infuse uh, more of his identity and his culture into the design world. And he chose to do that through one of the most basic fundamental elements used in design. An element that exists in everything, as I mentioned, typography. So he founded the typeface foundry Vocal Type. And he started designing himself several typefaces. So what's interesting is that not only these typefaces are being designed by a black designer, but the typefaces themselves were designed to reflect important historical and social events that concerns various marginalized, marginalized groups in the U.S. So, for example, he designed a typeface called Martin, inspired by Martin Luther King, but also he inspired 
uh, he uh, designed a typeface called Ruben, inspired by the National Chicano Moratorium Movement, which protested the Vietnam War, and was led by journalist Ruben Salazar. He designed Carrie, a sans-serif font or a typeface that honors women's suffrage in the United States. He designed a typeface called Stonewall, which is uh, inspired by the LGBTQ 1969 riots of at the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village in New York City, and so on. So you have this list of typefaces that he designed that has a piece of history linked to them, and now they're being infused in the design world. So how was Stre inspired by this movement to create these typefaces? This is what we will learn more about during the first part of the show. I will play an interview I did with Trey Seals about his work, about his types, the reason he started his type foundry and how he approaches typeface design and design in general. So very interesting interview. Stay tuned for that. And that's during the first part of the show. During the second part of the show, we will come back to Montreal and highlight a festival taking place in the city right now. And... Um, and this festival is showing us more visual digital sites on the screen, but this time we are talking about the big screen. I am talking about the Filminist Festival, which started yesterday and is going on until March 8th. Filminist is a feminist festival of cinema that takes place in Montreal every year. So stay tuned for that as well. I talked with one of the organizers of the festivals, Gabrielle Doré, about the festival, how it started, what are its goals. What are these years, this year's screenings? Uh, how do they choose the films they decide to screen? And uh, why cinema in particular is a good visual medium to start conversation and educate people about various issues. But before all that, as I mentioned, I will start the show with my interview with Trey Seals about the relationship between typeface design and identity. Keep listening to Digital Sites. <laughs> Joining me on the phone from Washington, D.C., Trey Seals. Trey is a brand specialist. He is a graphic designer. He is also a type designer. And he is the founder of Vocal Type, which is an independent type foundry. So type design and typefaces are rarely talked about outside design circles, despite the fact that typefaces are everywhere. Everyone consumes them and everyone is influenced by their design on a daily basis. Typefaces are an essential element of the visual digital world that surrounds us, whether it's printed or online. But like many things that surround us in society, typefaces also hide behind them a problematic reality that is not often talked about in design circles. So what do I mean by that? And what is typeface or type design to begin with? Well, we will answer all these questions and much more with my guest, Trey Seals. So first of all, Trey, thank you very much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate it. So I guess before we talk about what I just briefly mentioned, maybe for our listeners who are not um, designers, can you maybe explain a little bit what is typeface, what is type design, and what does a typeface designer like yourself do exactly? A typeface is basically the design of letter forms. So like, for example let's say every book you've ever read, every advertisement you've ever seen, every logo you've ever seen, somebody spent time designing those letters 
so that another designer can use those letters to make that logo or that advertisement or that book. And a typeface designer is the person who actually designs these letter forms. So what people usually refer to as fonts when they talk about, you know, Times New Roman or Bodoni or Ariel Helvetica, in, in reality, these are typefaces, not fonts. Exactly. On your website, you explain that at some point in your career as a designer, you discovered a sort of worrying reality about the design world in general and the typeface design industry in particular. And that reality, one, it made you maybe more determined to stay a designer, but also it was what led to eventually create vocal type, which I mentioned at the beginning. So before we talk about vocal type in particular, can you maybe talk to us about this reality? Um, who predominantly designed the type, the, the, all these typefaces that we widely use and consume? The majority of all type designers are white male, and there are a few women uh, type designers, but I am the third black font designer in America. Because of all this, we hear a lot about diversity and in the broader design perspective um, only three percent of all designers in the world in America are black and I want to figure out a way to inject a piece of my heritage and the history the heritage of other minority cultures into design itself at the root of basically all forms of graphic design which is typography mm -hmm. and you mentioned a little bit but we have this image of the industry, the design industry, the creative industry to be liberal, to be diverse, to be progressive. But the reality, as you mentioned, is really on the opposite of that. The statistics shows a completely different reality. Why do you think there's this lack of diversity, like you mentioned? I think on one hand, there's this lack of understanding of what design is in, the, in a global perspective. But also just from an educational perspective, it's not something you hear about. It's never really presented as a career choice to younger, younger audiences. And you really just don't hear about it. It's something that exists, but it never enters the minds of the average human. And uh, I read the, wh how I learned about vocal type because I read an article um, that was featured in an interview with you as well. And in the article, they were talking about how when it comes to type uh, typeface design, the two main pathways are the tech industry and design industries. And both these industries seem to be predominantly white males. So does that it, it, uh, influence a lot the lack of diversity in typeface design industry in particular? Definitely. Um, for me, it's kind of a, it's more empowering to me, like this idea of promoting the history of minority cultures through type design. It really just makes me want to do what I do more. And when I see more and more people reaching out, telling me how inspiring what I'm doing is for them, because they never felt they had a voice, and it just makes everything more worth it. Another thing I was wondering about typeface, uh, about typefaces, in what settings usually they're created? Um, because we know Google, for example, Google Fonts, and we know um, Adobe Fonts, which is Adobe. Anyone from the creative community know the company Adobe. They have a major monopoly on the design world, and they have a team of face, uh, typeface designers within the company. So you have a lot of 
typefaces created in that setting in the more corporate settings but also you see a lot of typefaces being sold on different websites so it made me wonder do we know do we have information about where the majority of typefaces are being created are they being created from the on a, in a corporate settings or are we still mainly individual independent designers are creating all the typefaces it's somewhere in between more independent type designers and smaller design studios. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned this idea of font design being in between tech and design industries. So within a font design team, you may have a programmer. You may have someone who specializes in designing for certain languages. You may have people who simply do the kerning and letter spacing. And you have all these different people who contribute to this one team in order to create this one font within a studio. And then more than likely, uh, most fonts come from individual type designers. So I guess that leads us to your initiatives about typeface uh, design. Uh, I mentioned it at the beginning, vocal type. So can you talk to us about what is vocal type and maybe sort of talk about the story behind it? How did you get the idea and how did this idea really started? Definitely. Um, I have I come from a graphic design background, and when I graduated from college, my main specialty became branding. And I did a lot of work for a lot of different companies, in-house, um, studios, and everything in between. And one day I was working on a branding project, searching for inspiration, and everything starts just to look the same to me. And it got really depressing, and I started wondering if I had chosen the wrong career. And the more I looked into it, uh, the more then I realized, saw, found these demographics of the design industry within in America and other countries. And essentially, design is majority white and majority male, and always has been. So when you have an industry dominated by a certain perspective, then that one singular perspective influences all these other areas of design, whether it be teaching or the actual creations being put out and just the, even our way of thinking. And but the more I thought about it, I want to figure out a way to increase or add a piece of minority culture's perspective to the design industry. And I knew I couldn't simply change demographics. So, and I had tried making a font before and I really enjoyed it. So I thought, why not start a foundry when there's so much rich history within all these different underrepresented cultures and make typefaces based on those histories. So, yeah. So can you talk to us more about these histories? So uh, you guys have five different fonts and they're all based on a specific, you know, important social or historical moment. So can you talk to us more about that? Definitely. Um, the first font I ever made through Vocal um, was called Martin. And that was named after Dr. Martin Luther King and the last cause he ever got to fight for before being killed in 1968. Um, that was called the Memphis Sanitation Strike. And during that time, protesters carried these signs that read, I am a man and union justice now and honor King and racism. And so I, I made this font based on the lettering style that you see on those protest signs. Um, in other perspectives, um, I made a type a font family called Eva, which is based on a series of banners created during a women's march in Argentina, named after Eva Perón, who was the first lady of Argentina and a huge 
fighter for uh, women's rights and women's suffrage. So how do you end up choosing what, uh, which you know, banner to base your, your typeface on? And did you have enough pictures of these you know, writings, I guess, or these banners? Did you have enough pictures or resources in the archives to be able to make an entire alphabet? Well, when I'm choosing a typeface to, base, to work on or to, looking for resources for a future typeface, I try to find images, let's say if it's from a protest that multiple people have a connection to. So maybe it's one sign that hundreds of people carry, or if it's like one long banner that 10 people carried. Mm. And from there, I try to find a certain leader of the certain movement that I'm trying to highlight and promote. And from there, based on the lettering style, I can take certain pieces of certain characters to make others to fill in the gaps. What, what, one thing I read and I thought was interesting, uh, that when you were researching, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I understood it was a sort of collective um, uh, initiative in a, in a research phase. So other people will help, you know, find different pictures uh, as well or different archive, archival, you know, resources to help you eventually design this typeface. Is that correct? Usually the people who send me images are actually just fans of vocal type who would like to see like a certain person or a certain movement highlighted and made a font based on. But other than that, it's just uh, me working here. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's good that you mentioned that because I don't think many of our listeners will realize how much work goes in into designing a typeface. Um, I remember I was I was seeing a talk by a designer called um, Mia Sinelli, I believe, and she was... She designed a typeface based on a handwriting that she saw in a historical document that was hung on a small um, museum in a town in Michigan. I believe the town now is a ghost town. It used to be a mining, uh, mining town. And so she was talking, she was saying she didn't have much experience about type design. Um, and she was saying that she thought all she has to do is take a picture, outline the, the letters, and then that's it. <laughs> and then she realized <laughs> there's so much detail. So... Can you maybe talk about that? Like, what is all this, you know, details and technical consideration you have to take into account when you're actually designing a typeface, an entire alphabet that is usable? There's so much. Um, <laughs> there's surprisingly a lot of math. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have to, like, actually, so, like, when you see a stroke or a line within a letter, you have to make sure that all those different strokes match up and are consistent. And especially in a handwriting typeface, those are definitely by far the hardest. <laughs> um, but usually, like, just making one particular weight of a typeface takes, like, 100 plus two hour, 200 hours. And oh, wow. you have to think about the size and how it's going to read at small sizes and large sizes. And if, let's say, it doesn't work at small sizes, will you, will you have to make a version that does work specifically for those sizes and just all kinds of things yeah. <laughs> there's a lot to it so another thing i was thinking about because i've heard many type designers before and one of the frustration they have is that a lot of time they put all these hours into working into a design but then rarely they get to see how this font or this typeface is actually um used and so 
I wanted to sort of ask you about that, about the usage of these typefaces. One, on this, you know, general level, how type designers, you know, rarely see how their typefaces is used. But also, in your case in particular, these typefaces have such a um, story behind them that it's very, uh, it reflects a very important social and, po and historical moment or message. So what would you, do you, I guess my question, if you find, you know, something like, I don't know, Breitbart or something using a font, the, the font Martin, like how would you kind of react to it? How would you react if, you know, maybe corporation or maybe, um, you know, um, things like Breitbart or something that are very controversial on this issue would use your, your typefaces? Would you be amused or be annoyed or what, what is it? I think I'd have mixed, mixed feelings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so to answer your first question, um, it is sometimes hard to actually see how people use your fonts, but it's getting easier, I think, with social media and sites like um, fontsanduse.com. And I actually have some people who are so proud of what they made that they'll send it to me so I can see what they've done with it. Mm -hmm. um, and as for how people use it, um, there was one particular instance that w I felt was extremely perfect and on the nose there was this play that was going on in Memphis about the Memphis sanitation strike, which is what influenced the Martin font. And all of the actors were from Memphis, all the people putting on the player from Memphis, and some of them were actual descendants of the strike that I was highlighting. Mm -hmm. So they used my font for the website. You know, the designers who worked on the website were from Memphis, and then it all just came together beautifully. Um, but there was another instance where a European magazine filled with just white men talking about fashion who use Martin. And part of me was wondering if it was appropriation or was it like, did they not read the story and they just thought it was cool, so they used it, <laughs> which turned out to be the case. And I just thought it was interesting how my idea of wanting to inject this piece of diver diverse history into design just kind of happened within this completely different cultural context, which was really the goal. So I just thought it kind of turned out perfectly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, another thing that, I mean, we're talking about the importance of having diversity when it comes to designers. Another thing I also read on your website is you touch upon um, diversifying inspiration. And I, you talked about at one point that you moved back, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I understood you moved back to your town in Michigan just because you were saying that if we all look at the same thing, none of us will create something different. So you were talking about the importance of also diversifying our sources of inspiration, not have all designers look at the same thing, all on Instagram and all of us on the internet. So can you talk more about right. that? And how do you apply, why do you think that's important? And how do you apply that in your work? I think it goes back to this idea of this lack of diversity informing like the way we think and the way we see things in design history in general. I feel like if you live in a city like, let's say New York, for instance, where there are thousands and thousands of designers all in New York, all seeing the same signage and creating designs that really, really look similar. It's to me, when it comes to being inspired by the same thing, it's not about maybe the inspiration as much as what comes from it. Mm -hmm. For me, 
Darn, I can't remember the name of the designer, but there was this designer who moved out into the wilderness without internet for a year just to see what they could create. And it really changed their design perspective, just having this kind of restart button. And for me, that's me on a daily basis, <laughs> not being influenced by something everyone sees every day and just having a fresh perspective is really what influences me where I work now. I saw an example on your website as well, um, which I thought it was interesting where you, I think you were creating a typeface for a magazine. And I think the theme was around sound, if I'm not mistaken. And right. you, can you talk about that? Because also you kind of had the same process. Um, the, w the way you chose at the end, the typeface was also inspired by an important sort of artistic, I guess, uh, event. So can you talk about that? Definitely. Um, this font family I designed for mag Oakland-based magazine called Umber, and it's based around black and brown perspectives. And each issue covers a different theme. So for the third issue, the theme was sound. And since it's the magazine itself is inspired by black and brown perspectives, I created a typeface inspired by the first black-owned record label in America called Broom Special Phonograph Records. And I felt like just having another sans serif wouldn't be enough and wouldn't really have that great of an impact. So I turned that one typeface into an entire family where the letters no longer are just filled in and solid, but look like sound waves. The last decade, I read several articles about how the last decade was dominated by the same geometric sans serif uh, typefaces. And so mm -hmm. I guess as a typeface designer, your perspective you can't see for, uh, in the future, but do you feel that maybe now coming into a new decade, you will see uh, the industry maybe coming out of this trend, uh, maybe including more creative designs? Um, I don't think like the whole geometric sans thing is going away. I just think it's going to be slightly different with the increase in use of variable fonts. Mm -hmm. Like I'm seeing more variable fonts where they may go from a sans serif and transform into a serif, or they may increase in contrast or the entire font may change completely. Can you explain and, what is variable uh, fonts for our listeners? Yeah, so a variable font essentially is a single font file. You don't have regular bold, italic or anything like that, but you essentially have these gauges that you can toggle between and it'll change the way the font looks. So it may have the italics at a specific angle and you can change the angle however you see fit. So basically everyone who has this font file can create a, essentially create a font that's completely different. Yes. Yeah, so do you feel that eventually in the design world, they're going to, they're going to veer away a little bit from the, from the geometric or just the variable fonts would just add maybe a little bit of variety. I think, the variable fonts were mainly added a little bit of variation. But I do see a bit more people playing with serif fonts, but I'm not sure how long it's going to stay like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I saw an article written by Rachel, uh, let me get that, Rachel Howley, and it's called mm -hmm. Here's the Typography of the Next Decade, and she's talking about how she believes that the geometric sans serif will finally go away and the age of font, I'm quoting here, the age of font minimalism is coming to a close and she believes 
that because there's a lot of typefaces from the Didonis family coming in. So this is why I wanted to mm -hmm. ask you about your typeface, uh, typeface designer. So I wanted to ask you if, if you have also um, the same optimistic, maybe, <laughs> a view of the future. Oh, that, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, like, I don't think, mm. like, I would say that the geometric sans is probably going away, but I don't think the sans serif period is going anywhere. So Yeah, I think there's still a lot to explore there. Yeah. Yeah. In the article I mentioned before that uh, this is where I learned about vocal type and there was an interview with you. The article is was on Eye on Design, I believe, if people want to go check it out. You mentioned at the end, and I'm quoting, if consumers understood design half as much as they understand technology, they'd be able to make better conscious and possibly world-changing decisions, unquote. So I guess I mm -hmm. wanted to ask you, what do you mean by that? Because I've heard... Um, I've heard many designers talking about uh, how people now are much more involved in, like everyone has an opinion about design. Everyone, because we're such a visual society, we're constantly on internet, constantly on uh, Instagram. So people are more, um, uh, how would I say that? More, they have more like design literacy, I guess. They have more opinion about design. Mm -hmm. And and so you're talking about that as well, design literacy, and if people understood design more. So I guess my, my question is, do you agree that people have more knowledge about design now and more opinion about it? Do you think it's good the way things are going? What did you mean by your quote? I think I understand that people have more opinions about design, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure that they completely understand the impact of it. Like, for, for example, when I, let's say I'm branding a company. I try not to deal with target audiences and things like that because it seems manipulative, manipulative to me. Yeah. So I try to tell the story of the company and what they're selling and what they're doing more so than coming up with a font that a certain demographic may like more than another. And at this moment, I feel like more people are starting to pay attention to design in terms of aesthetics, but not like how it makes you feel psychologically and what it makes you do psychologically like how most restaurants have like yellow, orange, red colors because it makes you hungrier. Like <laughs> I like to see people make more conscious decisions at that kind of psychological level, if that makes sense. Oh, I know what you mean. That's very interesting because I don't think people realize <laughs> how much like manipulation goes into the design decisions. Right, exactly. So finally, I don't know if you want to say anything at, about type design um, at the end, but also if you can maybe uh, mention the links of vocal type, you know, maybe your Instagram account if people want to follow more about your work. Thanks again for having me. Uh, if you want to learn more about vocal type, please visit www.vocaltype.co or follow me on Instagram at vocaltype.co. With me on the phone from Washington, D.C., Trey Seals. Trey is a brand specialist. He's a type designer and graphic designer, and he's the founder of Vocal Type, which is an independent type foundry. So again, Trey, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate it. My name is Sausan Kadura, and you are listening to Digital Sites.